0: welcome to the comics is better podcast where the weather outside is frightful but inside it is so delightful because we are talking about independent comics on this beautiful christmas week and with me as always i forgot where i was for a second with me as always is carrie hello and richard hello hello how are you all doing today Good. 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 Yes. I'm all right. Fine. Just well, fine. fine. We have a very special episode today uh, for this week. We have a, a wonderful interview that's going to come up and after we do our spotlights. Um, hope you all will enjoy. And also, I was wondering both Carrie and Richard, favorite Christmas song? Ooh. Um,
1: um, Go ahead, Carrie. The the one that I always play, like, that I always play, it's, is that Andy Williams? Yeah. Um, The Most Wonderful Time of the Year? Okay, that's a good one. I think it's that one mm-hmm. that I, yeah, 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 that's the one that I like.
0: That's a good choice, too. Yeah, that's, well, Classy. I think it's such a
1: Christmas standard yeah. that, like, you have to include that on a playlist of some sort oh definitely but it's definitely like my top like if i hear that shopping then
0: i'm very excited okay (laughs) that we're christmas time and richard how about yourself
2: um grandma got ran over by a reindeer because I like Santa being painted light of the uh, attempted murderer. So,
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ, nice. And uh, I love uh, was it like Grandpa happy that it happened and stuff like that's that. So fucked that's up. I've a,
1: never a, heard that song. That's You've song.
0: Never heard Grandma got ran over
2: by a reindeer. No,
0: yeah. I've never heard it. Oh, we uh, gotta
2: play it for you. <laughs>
0: yes, um, personally, I, I'm a a Mele Kaliki Maka fan. I, I that's like the one song Ooh. that if if I see someone covers it, that's the one I'm gonna listen to. Bing or bet. Um I would I mean being is the classic one, but you know what? I mean they can't really go wrong with that middler. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You might I do like I, your I spin say, on but, it. Yeah. But all right. Well, thank you for once again indulging me on these wonderful episodes and these initial questions to break the ice on this cold Christmas week. <laughs> wow, he <I> snorted. <laughs> Excuse me there. Okay, so let's go ahead and go get into our spotlights before I snort some more. Um <laughs> Richard, um, how about you go first this week? Oh,
2: cool, cool. Um, I was jumping back into uh, the series, The Least We Can Do. This week by Eliza mm-hmm. Romboli and Yolanda Z- Zanfardino. That's very easy mm-hmm. to say. Yes. So where we pick up is with our main character, Uriel. And, you know, she's just joined the uh, eclipse and the uh, war against the Eden army. And she's being trained on how to use her medium, you know the little jewel that like every that gives basically people powers. And if you're a masochist, you'll love this issue because she just gets the shit kicked out of her. She can barely get the <laughs> the medium to work. She can't attack with it. She can't really defend with it. All it will do, it'll like go into like an auto heal mode. After she gets her her, her butt whooped. So <laughs> what she does is that she, um, you know, but she's just trying to get educated because she's like, her whole thing is, I want to be of help. I want to be of use. So what we find out in this is that there's uh, four different kinds of me- mediums, a crystal medium, a, a quartz medium, a coal medium, and a dream source. And, you know, each has its own unique abilities. So what she, mm-hmm. she tries to figure out is like, oh, I she's like, maybe if I could get a tool, like, you know, kind of like a... Uh, Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Like, I don't want to say, but a medium for a medium, like basically like a tool to kind of help focus the power. Okay. Mm -hmm. And essentially when she goes down there, the person that makes the best tools is Islamia, who is her like mean girl. This is just the person that can't stand the sight of her. She relishes these trainings so she can beat the crap out of her. So she does not want to help her. Mm -hmm. But uh, what we end up, what she ends up finding out when she speaks to uh, one of the elders is how the medium works is that you have to have conviction and like the medium won't respond to you have conviction. So she wants to help everybody, but she doesn't feel that hurting people, you know, like in, in actual, you know, attacking is helpful. So that's why the, the medium won't respond to her. So basically now she's just trying to find the conviction of being able to, you know, attack, <laughs> mm-hmm. to, you know, cause it's for the greater good. And then elsewhere, <laughs> over in the Eden Army, her father no, you know, finally discovers that the medium is missing. Is sending two her of her siblings to go hunt her down.
0: Not good. <laughs> Definitely not. Um. Yeah, see, it's I. Just I a I've read... Beautiful book. <laughs> Yo, yeah, the artwork is great, and yeah, this is this has been fun. Like I said, uh, when you brought it up the first time, it's great to see them doing, um, kind of like a fantasy. Book this mm-hmm. time because they've they've been kind of doing kind of realistic, um, by bi- almost like biography comics in a way, even though it's not uh, it's about a fictional character, but it's like a slice of life. That's the better, right? One, yeah. So this, so yeah, this is, it looks it looks pretty cool, and like I'm excited to see where this goes because, uh, yeah, two of my favorite uh, creators doing another good series.
2: Absolutely,
0: very cool. Can't go wrong. And this is Image, right?
2: Yeah, this is from Image.
0: So that's awesome. They're doing an image book. They, I think, I think the uh, the one they did before that was also image. Um, yeah, the, uh, the, the the thing called the, truth. The thing called truth. Yes, yeah, the road trip one. Yeah, so that's good. I'm glad that they're getting the image, the image jobs. Um, all right. Well, um, I actually have a sequel as well um, nice. to one of my previous ones. I might have actually de- did it the same time you did the first. Least we can do. Oh, this, this that's, that's a great
2: synergy. That'd be really <laughs> weird
0: because <laughs> that was definitely not planned. But um, it's um, the second volume of L's. Uh, it's called The L-Verse by Kid Toisson um, and Aveline Stockart, translation by Montana Kane. Mm-hmm. For This time it's for Europe Comics. The uh, first volume when I read it was for Ablaze. So there's a reason for that. Um, I got through the first three issues of Els. Um, just a quick recap of of what it is. It's basically the story of this this girl in, in high school who starts at this new school, gets new friends. Turns out that she has five personalities inside her that are kind of separate. And each one is kind of um just dis- um, you know, you can discern which one is which and which one's acting by the color of her hair. I don't think mm-hmm. the hair color changes in like in reality because people don't go oh my god why is your hair all of a sudden blonde or why is it pink or why is it blue but but she kind of later when she's explaining to her best friend she kind of says like that's how i imagine each of these personalities like there's the, the blue haired one the blonde one and then each one has has certain things that they do um and um what happens towards the end so issue three ends with a major like um cliffhanger And so I'm like, cool. Issue four is going to come out soon. I'm going to find out what happens (laughs) because essentially what's been happening is that there's one personality that's been chained up that's not allowed to come out, and she's kind of a sinister, like the 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 worst personality essentially. (laughs) And she breaks out at the end of issue three. So you know, just quick spoilers there. So I'm like, cool. Let's see what happens. All of a sudden. The trade paperback comes out for volume one and i'm like that's weird why are they mm-hmm. releasing the trade paperback before they released issue four and then i realized it's because the first volume is just three issues
2: oh no Uh-oh. and i'm like oh
0: no <laughs> so so i i looked it up on comicsology and what comes up it's um this was a a but this was a book that was originally in french and a blaze was it was producing in english <clears throat> well when i went to kind of see what other books were there i found volume two and mm-hmm. but this one this this one has not been published yet by ablaze this one was the by previously pu- the previously published Shin company which is europe comics which is like as the name says that's what they do they they publish european comics in in america or in english at least um american english rather um so i got to read it i was happy um, it's another three issues, but uh, don't get me wrong, it's not like there's a lack of content. Actually, each issue is like 35 pages long, so it's essentially like the same amount of like a trade paperback. I was just being greedy when I wanted to issue four. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> this so this this begins with the new the, the the chain personality is now the dominant personality, and she has trapped every single other personality inside the brain of, of L, So she's now kind of controlling and now, you know, by default, ruining Elle's life because she's selfish. She's a controller. Uh, she, she doesn't care about anyone else. She has no sympathy. She's, you know, not the best character. And so her friends are kind of lo- slowly losing patience with her because, you know, she's definitely now a different person than she was before. And meanwhile, inside the brain, the pink haired L, which is the first one we met, um, kind of felt like she was a, kind of like the dominant personality um, in the first volume. Um, she wakes up in a diner that has been destroyed by a hurricane. And she figures out that she's inside her own brain and she's got to escape and find another place. So she so she escapes. She finds the room that uh, the blue-haired L um, was chained in and she then she goes from there, she finds another room so she slowly is visiting all the other personalities, going through all the realms that the blue-haired one set up to keep them all, you know, encapsulated mm-hmm. and slowly, like, getting them like kind of rescuing them, right? So, I'm not going to reveal uh, too much more, but you also find out that L, well, you found out that L was adopted and that kind of brought her into the depression that kind of, um, that caused the blue hair version to come out um you actually get um so she meets her real mom and she finds out that maybe this personality thing is less psychological and more biological which Mm. is very interesting and then that's kind of where the story ends for volume three which i hope comes out by some publisher in the future (laughs) digitally i'm very excited um hopefully in english Um, i will learn french though because i really like this series so i will read it in french if i have to (laughs) so uh but yeah um i definitely recommend it uh this is kind of a series i heard no one else talk about so i definitely would like um you know people to check it out because it's actually pretty good i really like it
2: very cool cool.
0: all right well speaking about cool things I think i like interviews interviews are pretty cool they're very cool and we have a very cool person that we're going to interview right now his uh, name is Jason Douglas he's going to talk about his Kickstarter campaigns and a few re- uh, new prints of, of some of the books that are coming out so I'm going to go ahead and welcome Jason Douglas to this episode all right thank you everyone uh, we are now joined by Jason Douglas, and we are here to talk about some comics. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing well.
3: Uh, thank you very much for having me, guys.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we we all read Parallel. We all liked it a lot, and uh, very very much thank you for uh, having us read that, and we really wanted to kind of dive into all that right now. Uh, but there's one thing we always ask before um, when we we have a new interview, a new guy person on, and that is uh, what's your comic book origin, essentially like what got you into comics and also um, what kind of got you into like creating comics as well.
3: Right. So, so two, two wildly um, divergent stories, as far as the timeline goes, because I mean, I was a comic book kid, but I got in Mm -hmm. a little bit late. Right. I do not have older siblings and I did not have cool parents uh, um my favorite story that my mom does not like me to tell about her is this is just to illustrate how not cool my parents were. She was offered free tickets to go see the Beatles at in 1965 and turned it down to stay home to wash her hair in high Blasphemy. school.
0: Blasphemy. So like
3: <laughs> like my 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 music, my movies, my comics, the, the culture that I bought into came a little bit late mm-hmm. and always and kind of was my own. And, but once I was in, I dove in and comics are no different. Um, Didn't get really started until I was like 12 years old, but was like, was like nuts. Like once I was in, I was in reader and collector. Took that um, nine year kind of middle teenage into your twenties hiatus, came back into comic shops because uh, one of my favorite authors of all time, uh, a gentleman you may have heard of by the name of Neil Gaiman (laughs) was coming back into comics himself and was writing Uh, a story from Marvel called, uh, what was it, 1602. Mm -hmm, Uh, That was great. And that brought me back into shops. And then I got hooked all over again. And um, like as a kid, it was was a balance of, did did I fall for the 90s die cut and foil covers? Yes, I did. Did I get sucked up in the number one issue boom? You better believe Uh I did. Was I in line for the death of Superman? Oh my goodness, yes. But at the exact same time, my very favorite imprint, my very favorite company was Valiant. Um,
0: okay. Because
3: I, I like the writing. I liked the more subdued art. Um, wanted to collect the universe. My pull list was like every Valiant title every weekend. Uh, at 12 years old, for no completely age-inappropriate, not necessarily content-wise, but like why would a 12 year old like this? My two favorite titles were Sandman and Sandman mystery theater. You know, okay. it was like, 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 especially with mystery theater comics designed for like 45 year old dudes, I think, <laughs> but at 12, I was totally in. Yeah. And then kind of the same thing going on now. Like I've got my, I've got my, uh, my way to collector uh, collector base collection in the basement, but mostly what I do is the writers that I love and that's who I follow. And and, uh, you know, characters, storylines, and, and like I said, writers, that's how I collect these days. Mm-hmm. Um, there nice. was always this back burner dream for me to create, but it's kind of like one of the themes of Parallel itself. Like it's about dreams deferred, right? Mm-hmm. And that idea literally doesn't manifest for decades. And uh, kind of came in through the back door uh, a very strange way. I was actually writing plays for my day job as I'm a public school teacher, and I was running drama clubs at the elementary school level. And then I was running drama clubs at the middle school level. And I was writing plays every year and getting some of those published and putting those on. And, uh, but it was like an 11 month a year job.
0: Okay. I would like,
3: I would like write a play every summer. I would run a club in the fall. We would, uh, audition in the winter. We would rehearse all spring. we put on the show. I would take a month and a half off and then start all over again. And like life was just kind of flying by and my kids were growing up. And one summer I just sat down Complete with what I like to call irrational confidence, blissful <laughs> ignorance. And I said, you know what? It's time to follow the dream, what it really was. And that was how hard could it be to write a comic, right? I'm writing these mm-hmm. plays like I'm writing them in my sleep. How hard it could it be to write a comic? Well, the truth is, of course, it's a very different animal and it's <laughs> much harder, but blissful ignorance, irrational confidence. And I sat down and I wrote the first half of parallel. And then um, before I wrote the second half, I like started shopping around again, not knowing how comics are really produced in the 21st century, mm-hmm. um, and like took a paper copy to Motor City Comic Con and started walking around to publishers. And the first one I landed at was Sourcepoint Press. Walked right up to the editor in chief and co-founder at the time, Travis McIntyre, without knowing him from Adam, looked him in the eyes and said, "I'd like to pitch you a comic," and handed him a paper copy. He literally said. Are you from 1970? Like, what are you trying <laughs> to do right now? Yeah, like, had no idea, guys. I had I colored say, very paper balanced. clips holding <laughs> the content in this manila folder from my classroom. Pa- color paper clips from my drawer in my uh, classroom desk, holding it together with, um, you know, stolen ink from the school copy machine <laughs> on the the color cover sheet. I mean, it was as old school as you could get. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "I like the cut of your jib. Come back to me tomorrow. We'll talk about it." And they signed me up and, um, you know, indie comics, a couple of years of blood, sweat and tears and a dream came true for me. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I I started writing comic books and now, you know, um, uh, we've got parallel special edition coming out and because the original run, um, sold out and garnered two Ringo nominations, they flew me out to Baltimore so I could gracefully lose to (laughs) do Batman
0: <laughs>
3: um, and, uh, and and give a speech at the award to No, it no great, shame to losing
0: the Batman. Yeah. yeah. No shame. No shame. No. Come on. Just like Neil Gaiman, I have really never heard of this Batman person. I don't know who. Yeah. Right. Off, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, I only I only do subtle name drops uh, <laughs> during an interview. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go big. I'm not going to impress you.
0: Yeah so tell me about the time you met stan lee no i'm just joking Uh, no (laughs) no, you you know
3: what you know don't do that to me because i will (laughs) tell you how at a motor city comic con when i was just there on 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 the side of the the side of the table that i spent until i'm on this side of the table Mm -hmm. walking around with uh my son was really young at the time and stan lee was there nice and uh we were like backstage and that dude with his entourage was You know, he was like 90 at the time and was on a mission, was moving faster than anybody 90 should move and basically ran us over. (laughs) I had to scoop up my kid, not get run over by Stan Lee. And I was like, whoa, I can I couldn't write this if I wanted to everybody. He literally saw him. He saw himself almost run over a little kid, shouted out Excelsior, did not miss a beat, did not miss a stride off into the night. I mean, that was it.
0: I was gonna make the joke that he yelled "Excelsior," <laughs>
3: and you wow. Wow. it was it was brilliant. I was like, "Well, that went yep. really well." <laughs> that's amazing. Almost mowed down a kid,
0: Excelsior. Yeah, right. sorry, true believer. Um, yeah, no, um, that's, that's awesome. awesome. So, yeah. actually, really quick question about since um, you know, I, I don't get to talk to a lot of Valiant, uh, especially old school Valiant fans. What did you think about the Bloodshot movie and and Vin Diesel as Bloodshot? Look look,
2: Very deep sigh (laughs) I am old Look
3: I am old enough To Mm -hmm. remember when Comic book movies Didn't exist
0: Oh yeah Me too Definitely And And thus
3: And thus When one When one comes out And it's associated with a property That you are familiar with Mm -hmm. And it isn't something that like Makes your eyes literally bleed I consider that a win Yeah Um, But I'm now also old enough to like have limitations on my time. Mm -hmm. And and so like, if it's not something that pops for me, if it's not something that I absolutely love, I mean, I'm not going to crap on it. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to make a stand online. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to go out of my way to like, like make people feel bad about something that they love because even the worst movie ever made, there's, there's somebody who that, that's their favorite. And and I don't know, it's not my role to make you, you know, people like what they like. Um, Am I going to go watch it again? No. (laughs) Um, You know, is Vin Diesel my favorite actor? Very much not, (laughs) Uh, but, but, but it exists. And I think that that's pretty cool, you know?
0: Yeah. Exactly, because like we're like you were saying, like pre comic book movies, like would you have ever imagined a bloodshot movie? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. So just the fact that it exists, is, it's it's awesome. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, I mean, like like I when I was well.
3: walking when I was a teenager, and I'm walking around with my with my Shadow Man T-shirt on, mm-hmm. you know, with just the symbol, and there's literally nobody on the planet who knows in my in my you know in my circle who knows what that yep. is. Um. Mm-hmm when i have my solar man of the animal which just has the 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 radioactive symbol on it and people think like are you supporting radioactive waste like they, they don't <laughs> understand what i'm wearing like, the <laughs> fact that a movie exists connected to any of that that's exactly bad.
2: no absolutely sure. what a time to be yeah. alive yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah and then i, I kind of running me of um about a few years ago um we were a friend and i were talking about the um, Nintendo 64 games and he is, oh I love Shadow Man blah 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 and I'm like hey um like like hey did you like the comic that it was based on? And he's like it was based on a comic? And I was like <laughs> yeah 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 told me was like it's a thing called Valiant you know like and that was before Valiant had come back. So yeah, it was kind of hard to explain at that time but uh but yeah, no. I I I agree. You know, it's like just the fact that they're there, you know, even if it's Nicholas Cage playing Ghost Rider, you know, it's, <laughs> It's fine. It's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, when it comes to Parallel, um, you know, you kind of already kind of hit upon this, but just uh, maybe a little more in depth, like um, was there anything that like directly inspired Parallel? And, like, Is there anything in life that you would want to do over again? Well,
3: so like, it's funny because as I mentioned, there's like this lifelong dream. There's this simmering back burner dreams deferred idea that's been in my mind since I'm
2: 12. Mm-hmm.
3: But, but but, time passing and the existential dread that comes with aging, it comes with your dreams slipping away, still wasn't enough t- to make me sit down and do the work that it takes to, to write a comic script. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that a buddy of mine who is a, a fellow comic book nerd who I, who I met in college and, you know, we have like this monthly phone call where we just like talk about. just wouldn't it be cool if there was a comic that was about this and there were some raw ideas about the concept of, of a parallel version of you uh, reaching out and offering you a second chance of the dreams you thought you left behind. Like even with that raw idea that kind of is the sci-fi trappings of my book Mm -hmm. is there, it wasn't enough to get me off my butt to, to sit down and do the work that it takes to write a comic script. Yeah. It literally took, a conversation that I had with a former student who was at that time in her late twenties, kind of pushing that age that Landon is in the book and somebody I'm still in contact with. And and she was telling me about how this, this realization she was having, you know, basically her quarter life crisis is the as the kids are calling it these days (laughs) of, of of waking up one day and realizing she's not 21 anymore and her dream of like opening a dance studio in chicago and, and, and being the head of it and and being a dancer in it like was kind of slipping away from her and she didn't know where the time went and she didn't understand how taking a job at at a certain age where your dreams are still fresh just to make tomorrow you know convenient can turn into like a decade and suddenly mm-hmm. you wake up and you're pushing 30 and and, and maybe those dreams aren't achievable anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like those three things coming together was like, it, it's, I need to do this now. You know, I know what I need to say. I know what I want to say. I know what this is about. Um, and it lit a fire into my butt and I sat down and, and, and wrote the first half of the book.
0: Nice. Nice. Very, very awesome. Yeah, I, I'm i 42 myself, and uh I, I'm i planning on living to be 135
3: <laughs> at least. So I haven't <laughs> had my
0: quarter life crisis yet. so You
3: got plenty of time, yeah, man. Of
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, it'll, it'll ask you that. Yeah, it, it is definitely a feeling, you know, like where literally, because like, I mean, like life goes by so slowly when you're a child and like when you're in your yeah. teen, teens, and all of a sudden, then it's like, you know like why even buy a calendar because you're not gonna like really appreciate the months and months and months on the calendar because it's they're literally gone like within like minutes in your life so yeah I I totally totally get it And so
1: I, I have a quick question um about the wife in the book yes. okay yes. she's she's a very in-depth character I feel mm-hmm. like and there's a lot of like there's a lot of emphasis on her name how she kept her maiden name now as someone who kept her maiden name i do not go by my married name except for socially but legally i'm still my maiden name um and it is a it's a point of pride for me now i took that as one i was a little like well why the hell are they shitting on the wife keeping her maiden name like it's okay that she did it but the more i kind of like reread you know those sections that i was going over i'm like okay this life is hers it is not landon's this is her creation it's her life he's just a part of it peripherally that is why she kept everything of her own nothing is Landon's, including the name is that it was that your intent with that
3: so i'm so i'm so happy that that you that you dug into Claire as a character, because like when I was, when when we were doing, when I was doing like my first round of interviews, when the, when the first print was out and uh, I ended up doing like 75 interviews and it was some of the early ones really caught me off guard because I had a lot of, a lot of dudes (laughs) who, who really loved the fact that she felt like the, Villain of the book, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it really bothered me because um, while I think it's fair to read her that way in the first half, I mm-hmm. personally, as I was writing her, had a tremendous amount of sympathy for her in the second half of the
1: book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
0: yeah. when
3: Landon's life is spiraling out of control, and you and you start to see how what's happening to him is impacting the other people in his life, mm-hmm. right? like my sympathy for her just exponentially increases. And in mm-hmm. fact, I, this, is, <laughs> this is a really, and then I'll come back to your question, but this is a really good spot for me to tease the fact that um, probably one of my favorite features of, of the special edition that, that, that you know um, hits previews in January is I wrote a, a 10 page bonus story, right? As part, oh, of, the cool. Batman, as part of the 50 bonus uh, pages. OK, and it is like it was. I was inspired by I don't know if you guys remember this phenomenon in comics where um, it was pretty. I mean, it, it, it's throughout the history, but like Marvel was really good at this, where it was like there's a bit of story between pages, between issues, between panels. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got an editor's note saying this happened between this panel and this panel or this happened between these two issues. And sometimes it's something inconsequential and sometimes it's like major you know, plot points like like (laughs) Secret Wars happened between panel four and panel five of this (laughs) issue of kind of thing. Right.
0: Yeah.
3: And so that kind of inspired me. And what I did is it it is 10 pages of the in-between panel stories that you don't see in the original story. Cool. And one of one of the things that I don't want to give too much away, but one of the things that I really enjoyed writing was you get to see um, Claire and her detective friend's relationship which is kind of subtly hinted at, yes, in the original story, and you can kind they of bang. speculate.
1: They bang, right? Please tell
3: me they bang. Well, I'm not going to yes. say that. Yes, I'm, I'm so... certainly not going to say no. I hope either, so, but, but but like you get to see because this was actually a, it was fascinating because um, there was there was a bit of a longer scene in the original script that that my editor Bob Sally had me cut back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, I kind of expand on that and go further and you get to see his home life with his daughter and you get to see an early date of theirs and some other stuff too. But like, like as a character, um, I, yeah, I, I like her independence Yeah, and, and yet, and yet at the end, you know, like you, st- she still shows up. She's still there for him. Yeah, I know. Um, and 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 yeah, like like I said, I, I just have so much more sympathy for in the second half when you really see that it's a lot of Landon's choices that lead to some yeah. pretty some pretty nasty consequences for a lot of other people in his life without him necessarily intending it, but it still doesn't let him off the hook for the responsibility of, of those choices. Yeah. No, right. and
1: and I felt like her showing up at the end, um, you know, and maybe it's because like Brian and I married young, you know, we were in our early twenties when we got married. So you do kind of look back and you're like, oh shit, like all of my youth is essentially gone and it's spent with this one person. And then, so even if, even if you're in a loveless, sexless relationship, like Claire and Landon are end up, you know, being in there's still that emotional attachment that you've spent so much of your adult formative life with that you can't make that detachment as, as easily as Claire says in that car scene, like I've got a place I'm piecing out by landed. You got to take care of your own shit. Mm -hmm. She still shows up. It's just, it's not easy to detach yourself from anybody that you've had that kind of, that, that kind of, um, you know, dependency on and even if emotional dependency just because even if your relationship is stagnant it's still there you know you're still used to that person at the end yeah I
3: couldn't agree more And and it really really makes me so happy that that like you read into that um honestly so so like when I mentioned before when I first sat down to start writing this I think something that really really helped me was that blissful ignorance of not knowing how to do it yet right and so so had i known how much is involved in producing what i wanted to produce it probably would have scared me off again no matter how motivated i was because when i sat down i did this balancing act where i was doing i don't know like i had like a dozen things in my mind at any one time and most of them were new like i i knew what i i knew what i wanted the, 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 the comic book nerd in me, the, the sci-fi genre piece of it. I I knew that I knew the, the heavier, the existential dread and the aging and the relationship and the the mental health aspect. I, I wanted all of that. I, I had to think about, you know, pacing where do you want this to be revealed on a page turn? Do I need to make the panels bigger here to slow down the storytelling so I can get to that page turn. I had to learn and balance at the same time that, that, uh, physically a comic book script didn't look like a stage play script, right? Like you literally indent differently, right? You literally have to write uh sound effects, narration, here, narration, you know, block here and all this stuff. And it was all kind of going at once. But, but one of the things that I never wanted to lose was that like, my favorite comics throughout my entire life of reading comics are ones that when you, when you get to the last page, not only do you want to read it again, but when you read it again, you read it differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? And you interpret, like when you get to, when you get to the final uh, page of parallel, that splash at the end, depending on how you interpret what happens on that last page, when you go back and read it again, you're gonna see pages, you're going to see panels, you're gonna see entire chunks of the story, differently than you did the first time through. And I, I've always loved that. And I, I, I like the fact that like, if there's enough ambiguity without being obnoxious about it, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, that th- th- that also sometimes translates to depth where you can interpret it and you can see whatever you relate to in there. And that, that always makes me happy when somebody uh, uh makes that connection or digs into that that character and says here's what's going on here's what I think about it I, I absolutely love that
0: awesome yeah what I when I noticed when I read it through it a second time um was that like there I kind of picked up on what you know sentences and words that I felt were kind of like innocuous at first and like but then this time, I'm like, oh, no, that's a uh, foreshadowing. That's uh, I see, that's that's actually more important than I thought it was. you know, like, so yeah, you definitely definitely felt differently when yeah. I, when I read it the second time. Um, so yeah, that definitely succeeded on that. Um, now, I okay, um, besides being a huge comic book nerd, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big music nerd myself. Yeah. We already uh-huh. kind of mentioned, you know, a little bit of music stuff, um, but, what kind of music is Landon playing in the parallel universe? Oh, so <laughs> would you believe this is like one of, so this is one of the details.
3: Like when, when Adam Ferris who drew it, when we were talking about this, mm-hmm. cause like uh, he was on board. So I kind of like, I sold the script to, to Sourcepoint. by sell the script. I mean, they said we will produce it for you. Yes. Uh, there's not a lot of, there's not, there, there's, there, there isn't money in independent. Companies. Oh yeah. Um, I totally know what you mean though. Um, I got hooked up with with Adam and and got to, you know, see his sample pages and and got to live that cliched but true comic book writer dream, which is getting to write for an artist who you know what they can do. second half of the book is actually, it was always meant to be dark, but it was a little bit darker, I think, because I knew... Adam was showing me what he was going to do with, with shading and what he was going to do with light and dark and what he was kind of playing with on the computer to make it uh, look the way he wanted it to look. And we, I got so into um, writing that second half that honestly, I was like, I was like, that detail didn't lock in for me. And we talked about it a couple of times and in, in, different interviews, we, I I've discussed it and there's, cause, cause there's definitely a hanging on to almost like a, like a post hipster hanging on to a, like an arena rock uh, hair metal vibe to uh-huh. this band for Absolutely. sure. Right. Yeah, like it's absolutely. there. And you're like, you're like, if this is, if this is more or less contemporary, I mean, we are decades past where that was commercially yeah. viable. Yeah. And yet, so That's what I was thinking. Doing it. You know, they definitely got that. I was vibe. like, if
2: this was um like uh if hair metal would have continued to progress, this is uh-huh. what hair metal looks like in the 2010s, the 2015s or whatever. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like it was like a, a whatever the, uh, the, the, the baby of hair metal would be. That's yeah, what yeah, yeah. So
3: I mean, they're they're clearly, you know, there's clearly uh that vibe going on in the band that you like you see in Almost Famous, where where some members are more talented than others, right? Yeah. And some yeah. actually have real musical talent, and some have egos that far outstretch, you know, their talent. Um and at the same time, you're like, oh, clearly we're derivative of X, Y, and Z. But there's I mean, you know, you, you get that hint in that one, um, you know, when they're when when we're in the parallel world and they've got uh, uh, they've got that press conference where they're clearly experimenting with more electronic things. But there's definitely, definitely some some hair metal uh, nods. Going oh, in yeah. Their
1: music. You know, the one panel that sells the hair metal Guns and Roses vibe when the girl opens up her shirt to get her tits signed, oh I was just God. like, Yes, thank you, yeah. Guns and Roses. This is totally yeah. fucking hair rock. I love it.
3: That I just I remember see, I remember when I was writing that and how clearly like I could just close my eyes and, and it's such the cliched, yeah, you know, late 80s, very early 90s, right? Um, that that uh-huh. thing of the you can just see it on the screen, right? You can just see uh-huh. the stage door opening. And the crowd there, and she walks up,
0: and yeah, yeah. oh
3: yeah,
1: yeah, I'm I, with I, you. yeah, I really appreciated that. That was great. <laughs> uh,
0: well, um, so you, well, you did mention the Beatles before, so I, I do have to ask us because I'm a, I'm a huge Beatles person, <laughs> like oh, me too, like ridiculously. So that's awesome. Uh, so okay, then. If you had to pick your top three albums, and we're going by the UK albums because that's kind of the most accessible now, yeah. Um, what would you say your top three Beatles albums are? Okay, I don't know if I can do this.
3: Um, I tell that's my youth graders this all the time that um, you know we do this. We do a we do a prompt before class every day that uh, just gets them thinking. And you know, some days it's um, you know choose between flight and invisibility, and some days it's something a bit more. Uh, you know, connected to whatever we're doing discussion-wise that day. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I'll occasionally throw, you know, give me your top three X, Y, and Z. And we've done movies and we've done music. And I tell them that um, I'm a hypocrite. And if you ask me mine, I will tell you uh, the 20 movies that are in my top five, (laughs) the 15 (laughs) bands in my top 10, you know, that kind of thing. And so you're asking me this. And I, my first thought is how can I cheat? And how can I say more than three or how can I narrow the category? So I don't have to, you know, kill my darlings. (laughs) Um, I will tell you that because of Peter Jackson's documentary,
0: Mm -hmm. uh,
3: because of get back, um, let it be has rocketed much, much higher on my list and is definitely, especially the, 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 the get back box set that, that, uh, uh, Giles Martin put out a yeah. couple years ago. Um, it is definitely solidly in my top three. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, that, that I don't think that's ever going to move. Uh, if you asked me when, um, I became a formative Beatles fan in high school and college, um, I think, I think white album would probably be sitting number one. Okay. Um, and I will tell you this, now, this is my actual hot take. Mm-hmm. I personally believe the most underrated Beatles album oh is Beatles for Sale. It is crapped on as that, maybe the worst mm-hmm. and, I, and I do not believe that it is all, at yeah. all. I mean, look at like those first seven, eight tracks and they are all bangers and there, I love
0: it. There was a time in, in ninth and tenth grade where Beatles for Sale was actually my, my favorite Beatles album.
3: Oh, that's fair. I, I, I don't it, think I've ever heard a human I, say that out loud and that it, it makes <laughs> me you all the more.
0: And, and and I love the fact, you know, like listening to now, John Lennon once called it the country Western album. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I can totally see it. I can totally see it, it is the country Western album. And so, um, but yeah, no, we, you mentioned the white album as number one. That's actually personally my favorite, my, my number one as well, because it kind of shows their talent and shows their, uh, you know, their creativity as well, you know, the most. Um, but um, and for me, Let It Be used to be one of the bottom albums. But the Let It Be Naked uh, that yes, came out, yes, that actually rocked it more. Well, towards it, the top I way. mean it 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 redeems Long and Winding Road. Like, yeah, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, right? I, yes. I love it. Yes,
0: a <laughs> lot better than the Wall Sound version, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, so
1: Jason, have you seen Beatles Love in Vegas?
0: Oh my goodness gracious! Uh, I
3: wish I had. Um, I, you know what? Okay, so how do you guys feel? I'm assuming you guys saw it. Oh, We've seen yeah. it several times. We yeah, love oh, it. yeah. I'm so jealous. Um, the 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 thing on that record okay. that fascinates me the most, I think, is the Hey Jude version.
0: Oh, because yeah. there's that
3: there's the breakdown in the middle of it, and mm-hmm. there's the different baseline.
0: Yes. That's how they that, end the that,
3: show. I love it. I love I'm, that that walking baseline that goes so it goes it goes so much higher and lower than than the one on the record that I just I just I, I'm fascinated by
1: it. I'm I'm legit getting, and it's not because I'm still sick, but it's like I'm legit getting chills because yeah. it is yeah. that by far is like one of my most favorite things of the show. Um the Mirage is no more. It was sold to Hard Rock, R.I.P. So the Mirage they don't know where the new home for Beatles love is but they are still at their specially designed theater up until spring of 2023 I don't care how you do it dude you got to get out there and see it it is one of the most phenomenal shows it is worth every penny um one time one time Brian and I got super super lucky and we got a new year's eve sale like randomly and we got um basically what's con- like their level of like orchestra seating where you can uh-huh. interact where you can interact with the um the entertainers like for like 70 bu- like 75 bucks a ticket wow. we, we we just lucked out going on Ticketmaster. it is like it's it's just one of the most beautiful things that Cirque du Soleil has ever done um those people are athletes in every sense of the word it's just gorgeous if anybody has a chance to go see it before it moves Please do and support them because they're phenomenal people that put yeah. it on
0: and amazing. Carrie wasn't a Beatles fan.
1: I was not a Beatles fan yeah. until I
3: saw Beatles, until
0: she saw Beatles. Oh wow! Oh yeah! Wow. What a what an interesting entry point for
3: you. Yeah. yeah.
1: So like I like I'm Mexican and um you know Southern California like uh, Latino culture borrows a lot from like Black American culture. So like yeah. I I grew up with like Motown and like old r&b and hip-hop mm-hmm. so that's like and like rap and everything so that's like my music from like my childhood
3: well and you need like, to come to my part of the country I live 20 <laughs> minutes away from Motown literally I know oh. <laughs> I know
1: I know and in fact uh Flavor Flav was just at uh the Detroit um um like the Motown museums like that like yeah. look, looked looks really cool but anyways like so my parents were never big Beatles fans and l- per se as children except for like when they were like on like the um ed sullivan show and like you Mm -hmm. know cute paul or whatever so like we never grew up with that music and like it wasn't until brian and i got together that i started listening to the beatles and i'm like oh it's okay you know whatever but then like we went to vegas to go see beatles love and i was like oh shit like just that whole like overwhelming vibe of like the art and the color and I mean, it was, I've never done acid, but I kind of wish I had been on acid while seeing it. because It was so beautiful. And I was like, wow, this is real. That must, that must like, it's like, I think the emotions that music gives people, it was that like personified. It Mm -hmm. was just like this wonderful, like explosion of color and beauty and like sensuality and, and drama and sadness. And it's just, it's, Incredible. I mean like so
3: can, really so can I may I ask you a question? Of course. So then did you get to like once once your Beatle fandom kicked into gear? did you then see how you could backdoor it back into Motown because yes, absolutely. How much they love Smokey absolutely. and, 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 and their appreciation of, of music that came before them. I mean, like,
1: yeah, absolutely. Little Richard
3: says, and Paul yep. admits mm-hmm. like 80% yep. of every screaming song he's ever done is him just, you know, doing little Richard. huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I did this, like I, this is much more cliche, but like I did that exact same thing with, with uh chicago and delta blues because even though you know the, the classic rock era was was done when i was born i grew up you know with that with that classic rock you know in my ears and then mm-hmm. found you know found a uh, very cliche found robert johnson through that exactly. you know what i mean yeah.
0: yeah totally no me too uh yeah if it wasn't for zeppelin or cream i would have never known right. who Robert johnson was so yeah definitely okay uh yeah yeah the the beetle conversations could definitely get out of control uh, i was gonna podcast. say oh yeah I there's
2: only ever listened to uh to the white album and just to bring it full circle i listened to the white album because a british dj took the jay-z black album mm-hmm. the, vo- the vocals from that they mixed it with the uh, instrumentals from the white album to make the gray album and at which point i was like well i need to figure out what's going on here listen to the white album absolutely loved it so
0: yeah, cool <laughs> very cool no yeah and yeah that was um danger mouse wasn't it
2: Yeah, it's danger and mouse yep yeah,
0: yeah so and he got a career out of that so that's pretty awesome uh but all right well back to the old uh comic book world um <laughs> <laughs> like so you kind of mentioned it before um but um but yeah how did you get uh like kind of get your creative team together for this, uh, for the book.
3: So, so um, for the original, for the original book, um, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because I think Travis sensed that I didn't know anything about anything um, kind of right before source point stopped doing this um, because they, they basically, I, I pitched parallel and then they kind of blew up. Right. And then like two months later, they got their deal through diamond for previews. And a year after that, they've got their Simon and Schuster distribution deal and, you know, uh, movies are being made and on and on and on. Yeah. Um, and, they, and he basically knowing that there's no way under the sun that I would know how to find anybody or do anything for this first book, uh, they basically took me under their wing. And I mean, that made a very different contract for me, but, uh, set me up with an editor that could usher a first timer through okay. and set me up with Adam who had more experience, right. And could, you know, uh, trim this and move this and, and make the storytelling even better. Um, and, and one of their tried and true uh, letters in Justin Birch. And then, um, it was kind of fun. Cause like putting together the stuff for, um, the special edition, like I got to reach out to to Josh Sobeck to draw the extra 10 pages, who was like, who's like an in-house person at SourcePoint and, you know, much more involved in that. And, and what I learned from that is, you know, helped me put together my creative team for my next project that I'm going to be doing a Kickstarter mm-hmm. for in May um, called Jane American. And, so, like this, very this first one, it's such an atypical story about how comics are made in the twenty first century because the way Parallel was made that first time through is not how comics are made in the twenty first century. Yeah. And so, you know, um, you know, long answer for what should be a short answer is they put it together for me, and it just happened to you know be the perfect balance to to make it what it was. That's awesome.
0: Cool. Yeah, very cool. I um I recently picked up uh, the Shelley Bond, the the editor. Uh, she made mm-hmm. a, she made a, a book about basically how how to basically be a comic book editor and yeah there's a lot that goes into that that you don't even think about and uh and also um the comic book letterer is the unsung hero comics i think
3: oh for sure yeah because oh, I'll tell I'll tell you so like one of the one of the coolest <laughs> one of the coolest parts of making your first comic
0: mm-hmm. is
3: is no matter how long it takes and India, it takes a long time, no matter how grueling it is. And with India, it's pretty grueling. There's these magical moments along the way where it, it is one step closer to being in the world. And it's a magical step for you because it's the first time you've ever seen it. Right. And it's like, Oh, that, that, that is. And, and for me, I think the moment it became more real than any other moment, Mm -hmm. was when, was when Justin Birch uh, let let me get on a Zoom with him and, and he let me watch him letter a couple of pages. And you know, the art, when Adam was bringing in the art, that was gorgeous. I loved it. It was wonderful. It was so cool, but there was something about the letters being in the balloons that made it real for me. Awesome. And and it was just I, I was transfixed and I had questions and I think I accidentally even got into his head. um You know how, you know, I don't know if you ever heard the, the cliche about like, don't don't ask a a, a baseball player how mm-hmm. how he hits the ball like because yeah. he, he'll swing and miss because you don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And like I, I remember Justin was like he was he was so fast because he, he he letters for everybody. He letters for Marvel, he letters for DC, he letters for Indies. And, and he's just like, he's just like hitting this button on his program, and and suddenly the 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 tail of the balloons at forty five degrees, and he knows exactly. And then the next one's at forty eight, and he knows that that's what it should be. And it's just bang, 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 bang. And I and I I think I accidentally got in his head, and and was like, so uh, how do you know that it's going to be forty eight <laughs> degrees instead of forty seven? And then he did that thing where he stops, and you saw him, and he like reached and then he pulled <laughs> back, and I was like, oh no, I broke him.
1: and he's like um
3: i'm uh and he's like like, oh no and i felt so terrible i was like i'm gonna leave now (laughs) you're gonna get your mojo back and we're gonna pretend (laughs) this never happened and i did not just ruin your career by getting inside (laughs) your head and making you think about something you're doing instinctively he gave him Um, i like i literally slunk away from the computer and went and hid
0: (laughs) oh man no and i i totally get it too because um I I've I've been doing my job for like twelve plus years and um and I and whenever I get somebody new that needs to know how to do the things that I do, it it literally I go through it and it's like, um that's probably why I would never be a good teacher because I'm going through it the way I usually do it and then they ask me to slow down and it's like why do i do that how wait wait, wait how do i do this so like i i like I. it surprises me like how i do something because it's just so natural you know so yeah, yeah. i t- totally get it um yeah it's not it's it's definitely not fun <laughs> when it, when that happens definitely get a bad case in the yips um but okay so you you did mention jane american um in in may um, going through Kickstarter, so do you feel like crowdfunding is like the future of of comics, especially well, not DC Marvel per se, but like indie comics.
3: Oh, I, I don't think it's the future. I think it's the present.
0: Is it the present? Um, I
3: mean, I mean, indie comics are like indie comics are 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 the perfect example of of the iceberg theory of anything, right? Mm-hmm. Marvel and DC, as huge as they are, are literally the 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 tip right? Yeah, absolutely. The vast majority of comics that exist in the world month to month in the 21st century are indie and the vast, vast, vast majority of those are crowdfunded because that's really the only way to do it. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And this is going to be my first one. So uh, in the same, like I, do, <laughs> I don't get to have my as much blissful ignorance and irrational confidence because I know too much now. So now I'm terrified (laughs) and um, you know, about, about pulling that off and making sure that happens. But it is a project that I very much believe in Um, just like the messages in parallel about, about, you know, second chances and uh, that, that the the redemption arc and and how important mental health is that meant so much to me um, in parallel Um, Jane American is very much similar I almost said parallel. I thought that would be a bit on the nose. Um, very much similar <laughs> mm-hmm. to, uh, to this book because it has, it has, because I'm a comic book nerd at heart, it's got this nice wrapping of um, a protagonist who has um, unexplained powers and the abilities to do some things that other people around her cannot do. But thematically at its core, where it comes from my heart is this is a story that is very much inspired by my late grandmother and very much dedicated to all the, the the young women who have come through my classroom in the last 20 years and all the non-binary people who have come through my classroom in the last 20 years who are still even in the 21st century struggling with identity and struggling with uh uh harnessing their full potential in a world that wants to put them in a box that is not them. You extrapolate that to my story, which is a post-World War II small town Michigan story, 1946, where those boxes were even more rigid, Mm -hmm. whether it's because you could run faster or lift more than anybody else and had to keep that a secret, or because you're a 15 year old girl, like the the, the character named after my late grandmother is um, Jane. Um, And so exploring those ideas of identity and gender and race and uh, you name it, it's just so important to me that, that we get this happening. And it's one of the reasons why we put together like this exceptionally diverse um, creative team, because Mm -hmm. the more voices, the better on this. I mean, it's coming from my heart and it's coming from, you know, the people who've come through my classroom and the experiences that they're having, but like, we're very much a collective storytelling unit on this because thematically everybody's going to be able to find themselves in this story. Very nice.
0: Yeah, that it absolutely sounds, that's definitely our wheelhouse here on this podcast as well. And so it does sound amazing and good. I think a very good choice of, um, of era because especially when it comes to like you know like women and like the kind of their place in society because yeah they, they were just literally in World War II you know the people making you know things and the manufacturing they had a lot more freedom and rights during World War II because of the way the society kind of was at the time and then all of a sudden oh, you well you are
3: you are you are without knowing it um, um give it giving away major plot oh, okay. is all in there, my friend. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's also very, uh, you know, it, it's thematically it's great because you get to do, you get to do the X-Men thing, mm-hmm. which is using, using whatever's different about you in a, in a, in a comic book sense as metaphor. But because it's based very much in reality of what was going on in Plymouth, Michigan in 1946 with um, Rosie the Riveter getting kicked back to the kitchen mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and African-American soldiers coming home or the African-Americans who were also in, um, in Canton, Michigan to the south, uh, great migration people who are running those factories as well, getting kicked back to the curb. Mm-hmm. You get to have you, you get to play with metaphor. And you get to show it in reality at the exact same time.
0: Yeah, and it's something that's not really talked about either. So that's that's awesome. You know, like, like that kind of cool. hidden hidden history that we don't get a lot. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So very cool. Well, well um, something a little little uh, less uplifting, um, but actually uplifting in a way because um, of, of of how everything is going. Um, you probably received some of the worst news that someone can receive about a few months ago, actually a few, well, yeah, a few months ago regarding, regarding your health and um, you were, you were diagnosed with cancer and um, I was I'm surprised and very happy to see like how like uplifting you've been while well, fighting it and like I was wondering where do you find that strength oh good
3: god I have no idea I have I have lived <laughs> I've lived my life as as such a fantastically dedicated pessimist mm-hmm. that like I am I, I I love a glass that's half empty I love it I thrive on it and um and then when <laughs> when the glass literally drained, I don't know. I like, I had, I had to, right. Like I, tomorrow still came. Yeah. Um, I I still had a classroom I had to get back to. I still have three children that, that need me to have a tomorrow as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I just kept on going and, and I think because of the nature of what it was, which was colon cancer, that that was discovered completely and utterly at random. Um, so I turned, I turned 45 this year and the law changed this year where doctors, you know, nobody can force you to go get a screening. Nobody can force you to go get a colonoscopy, but doctors have to recommend it at 45 now instead of 50. And so it was just totally my doctor saying, well, it's time to go get it. So I did. I'm a school teacher. I'm a rule follower. um, (laughs) So I did. And, and then like, 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 like a bad dream where I was just nervous about, you know, having to, to, to poop all night, the night before, It's <laughs> about like the anesthesia and stuff like that. You know, they come in and there's like, we found this rather large tumor that is going to try to kill you. And, um, you know, just maybe, and, and this is, you know, I, I, pardon me if this is clunky, but like, cause this is just, I'm thinking this out loud for the first time, because this is the first time I've talked about this in an interview. Um, maybe some of that blissful ignorance, maybe a mm-hmm. little bit of that, because this is all, you know, this is, th- there's no symptoms. There's no lead up to it. There's, I'm not, I'm not showing any, whatever. There's no history in the family. I am yeah. so utterly unprepared that everything that happened is just what happens without me being nervous ahead of time. It's just the next thing. And you just do it. Nice. Um, and so like and so like going going and getting a ct scan was scary cuz it was unknown but also not scary because i didn't know if it would be scary right the blissful ignorance okay. uh, surgery was terrifying but not as terrifying as if you had gone through major surgery before and knew oh recovery is going to suck this bad mm-hmm. so i'm afraid of that i'm just like i'm going and what happens next is what happens next um mm-hmm. And going through that, I, you know what, honestly, <laughs> had this happened during or during the writing of Parallel, I think I probably would have just exploded because it's way too close to the, yeah. the whole metaphor of time is short and, you know, get your get mm-hmm. your crap together and, and, and pursue your dreams where, mm-hmm. you know, I've just been living the last few months with, you know, a good portion of that not knowing if there was a tomorrow for me. So, yeah, um, um, yeah, like it. It. it you know in one way um it, it slowed down the production of Jane American
0: um mm-hmm.
3: there was a decent chance that uh the Kickstarter would have been um the month that I found out that I got diagnosed but that obviously became impossible. So we we push it back to allow parallel special edition then to breathe. That's why we're doing it in May. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time it's renewed my focus and my dedication to tell the stories that I really want to tell and that are important to me and hopefully will be important to other people while I, while I still can.
1: I know I, I have, I have to say your exuberance for life is, Mm -hmm. uh, is, is a wonderful thing to witness. So thank you. Well, let me tell,
3: I don't know. I look, I don't even know how much of that is real. Cause I, listen, you know what my day (laughs) job is. I've got to Eighty teenagers every single day that grammar uh-huh. isn't boring <laughs> yeah like for sure. i don't know if I, I don't know if i'm genuine or not but i gotta bring the energy or they're gonna see right through it and they're gonna be like <laughs> get me out of
0: here <laughs> well you you do I it I totally well. get that yeah and uh, and i and like maybe also it's because like it was such by chance that you f- you found out about about what was going on in your body yeah. that you you like the fact that the law had changed and like that you would have not gotten a colonoscopy before 50. Oh yeah yeah and so yeah. so yeah.
3: yeah like the the, uh, the the two I don't know how how in detail you want me to get, but like the tumor had eaten through um there's four layers to your colon, to your, to mm. your lower intestine. Um and uh and it didn't eaten through three and was like about to push through four. Uh, oh, when shit. they found it, and then it would have been like out in the open, and then it's yeah, the nodes, and then it's everywhere. Yeah, and um, like yeah, I it's not even like one of those things like so you know you hear people say you would have made it to fifty. Now I it, like I had I was in a meeting with a doctor. I did I did the thing where uh, I talked to more than one surgeon. Right, I did the I did my due diligence and I I did the second opinion not because like somebody's going to say you don't have cancer, but like you 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 want to you know test your options on where you want to go through this very major um, um, process. And I'm sitting in this room with this doctor at a will, will be an unnamed hospital. And I remember the thing that turned me off to going through them was this doctor saying what I thought was pretty contradictory in the same breath. And in the first half of his little spiel, he said, um, we don't, cause he was talking about when they could get me into surgery and it was mm-hmm. significant weeks later than the first place in the place that I eventually went with. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, we don't, you know, doctors cancer is not discussed in days and weeks. Cancer is measured in months and years. And, which is how they do it, right? I mean, they, mm-hmm. like when you're getting screened, you don't get yeah. screened every five minutes. You get screened once a year or you get screened every five years or they do, you know, that kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. cancer, cancer is discussed in months and years and it grows in months and years. And at the same time, he said, it is alarming that your blood work one year ago today was completely clean and you have a tumor this size in you right now, which suggests it's very aggressive. Um, which kind of felt to me like you can't have it both
0: ways. Yeah, exactly. um,
3: Yeah. So the, so the surgeon who is offering to get me in literally Tuesday, and this was on a Thursday that I'm having this other meeting, I think that's where I'm going to go. For sure. And then when it comes back that it was push about to push through that fourth wall and be out in the open and cause all kinds of havoc, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, cancer's not on a schedule. There's like, it's not, it's not watching a watch and saying, well, it's not, it's not November yet, so I'm not going to advance. Exactly. It's not June, which is my starting yeah. date to, to hit that next. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I have no idea. It's not even a matter of I wouldn't have made it to fifty. I, I might have had one week left before it was a whole different story. Exactly.
0: Wow. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean, and it's very important to do the due diligence for that just that reason, because only only Deadpool and She Hulk are allowed to break the fourth wall, right? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> but no I (laughs) seriously but absolutely that 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 is amazing and I mean that like is just you know a sign that you're you're meant to be here you know you're 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 you know like it's still you still have stuff to do you know because I mean like so many little things could happen could have happened where it would have been a different story altogether yeah so so yeah that's that's absolutely amazing and like I said like I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm. I, I feel like I, I'm very much like you in, in in you know the way I kind of see things and and like I, if I got something like that, um, it would probably be either, you know, zero or one hundred, where it'd be like either just don't talk to me and like just leave me alone, or it would yeah. be like okay, well you know what, you can't really tell me worse news, so let's let's just keep going, you know, like you know, like let's do what we can do. Yeah, hundred percent. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool, but and we got things looking forward. Uh, we, uh, so, quick question about parallel. Um, yeah, you have the new cover coming out uh, for the new edition. Right. Uh, did so? Did you um, when it came to what was going to be on there? Did you have any say in that, or did you have? Uh, well,
3: we. Um, so so Josh Warner, the the current editor in chief, and another one of the co founders of SourcePoint we kind of batted around a couple of ideas and then, and then he, he gave it to, uh, to, to Lex Lyon who, who did the cover. And she, she actually also did the, the Baltimore exclusive cover, the one that we took to, to the Ringo awards in Baltimore um, um, mm-hmm. last fall. And, um, and, and there was kind of the idea, I mean, every single one of the variants and stuff has some connection to the book and, and, and this cover, God, this cover blew me away. I love the colors. It's, it's, it's yeah. so neon and it's, it just pops off the page. And, and it has that thematic flipped, almost like a, almost like a playing card um, with Landon and Landon both on there. And um, that, that's mostly uh, Lex's idea. Um, but something when they mentioned, it, I was like, yeah, go for it. So fully supported by me as well. Cool. And like that cover will have um it, it it should look pretty good on the shelves and it'll have a it'll have the the Ringo stamp on there uh, about the two nominations. It won't nice. say anything about losing to Batman, but <laughs> it will have that Ringo stamp <laughs> on there. And then and then I think I like I mentioned before like fifty extra you know bonus pages. Um, I wrote an afterword, the the the, the ten page story. Um, A beautiful cover gallery collecting some wicked uh, variants from the first run and a bunch of annotated section of like um, uh, of rough art and some script pages, um, which I I, I insisted had to go in there because um, one of the ways that I learned how to physically structure a script back in, you know, when I first put this thing together was by uh, uh, Ed Brubaker, Back Matter. Where Mm -hmm. like, you know, like in in the back of a trade where he's thrown a couple of uh, script pages at you and you could like see how he does it versus how Scott Snyder does it versus how whoever else does it. And then you kind of pick one and let that run as your template. Very Very cool.
0: cool. Cause yeah, and that's I, yeah, I love the back matter for just for that reason because it's you know you see how different it is for everyone how they make the comics and you can find the one that works for you you know I mean you know like if if all it was was the uh, the Tom King uh, like nine panels a page then it would be a totally different style of uh, of art you know so right yeah so it's very cool.
1: well I for one am very excited for um, Claire's kind of. Yeah. you know, delving into her character a little bit. So I'm yeah, happy I to pick it up. I
3: can't wait to, to, to see what you think about that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, cool. Yeah, I really, really liked giving her even more voice in, the, in those pages and and seeing that. Uh, I, I really, really, really would love your feedback once you see them interact and, and some of the choices made. And, and it's, like I said, because it's in between panels, it, it'll be fun for you to read, I did it in two page chunks, right? Like oh, there's cool. two pages of Claire, two pages of Landon, uh, two pages of the detective, and then where they come together. But like at the end of each of those pages, you know exactly where that then picks back up in the in the main story. Nice. Oh, that would like, be exciting. Like you you see this character say something, do something, and then you could like literally turn the page and go, oh, and now she shows up at this other place and I see cool. where that, yeah. Awesome. Yeah.
0: That miss- oh. missing moment is there now is that uh-huh. the place yeah, absolutely
1: is, is that the place that she has a place to stay is it with the detective
3: i i, I again again there's this book that i mean sorry i love spoiling. comics i make, i make no money i mean i'm already a teacher i think we're i got to raise this year i think i make 12 cents a year now good
2: for you um
3: and about that for this comic too so i need to sell a couple of <laughs> sorry Hello?
1: Well, well, I won't. I love spoilers. I won't ask any more on there. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Go buy, go
3: support. They
1: said, go buy the book.
0: Yeah, d- definitely. Well, thank you. Well, honestly,
3: I, I'm going to make a, I, I'll make a, I'll make a heartfelt uh, plea. not really for myself, but for indie comics in general. Um, I truly believe uh, throughout this process, one of the biggest things that I learned industry wise mm-hmm. um, being on this side of things is is what a dollar means to Indie Comics versus, again, no shade at the big two. It's what I grew up on. Yeah. But a dollar goes so much further towards Indie Comics, right? You you buy a floppy, you support a Kickstarter, you buy a a decent-sized trade like Parallel Special Edition is, and that dollar is literally – is literally putting food on table putting clothes on backs keeping a family which is usually how a lot of indie comics start keeping it together and keeping people um creating stories that you love and them doing a job that they love
0: yeah yeah
3: so like i mean you know whether it's parallel special edition or a different source point book or a different indie creator like you know um you know i'm in i'm in previews in january i'm in the source point section and you go back there and you find parallel and you order it through your LCS, which is another great way to support this industry mm-hmm. that we love. Or you go to sourcepointpress.com and order it directly through there, which is a great way to support. Um, and, you know, any way that you can spend a couple of bucks on indie creators, it just, it just goes a long way.
0: Yeah. wonderfully said. We um, That's kind of, you know, why, why we're here um, because I mean, there's so much great, things that come out especially nowadays where there's there's more of an opportunity for for indie books to be released and come out and that would would never you never see them or never hear of them if it wasn't for these these you know these families like you said that are taking the risk of what they're doing in order to get these things out to people to the public so absolutely yeah, it's fantastic um yeah it, it's and yeah i mean like yeah we we all love DC and Marvel here like we'll talk about it not even me. on the podcast even though we're technically not supposed to talk about it <laughs> right but it's still yeah it's still comics it's still like it's still important it's, it's what you know it's what got us into comics you know like you know fully there's not a lot of people who didn't go the route of DC or Marvel to get into comics you know so it's like you know that it's there for everyone in, in everyone's DNA essentially when it comes to, to reading so yeah we, we love it but you know what there's enough Batman podcast there's enough um Avengers podcast you know like let's let's talk about indie books you know like let's talk about the books that no one talks about so right definitely
1: well Jason it was a pleasure having you
0: on the show today thank you so oh my much. gosh oh yeah. the, the your pleasure
3: is all mine this was a yep. blast thank you guys absolutely for me.
0: No problem. and we'll we'll have um we don't have the uh, the diamond code yet but we will have it uh probably pretty soon and uh we'll we'll uh, add it probably right here.
1: Hi, all. This is Carrie, and I'm coming in really quick with that diamond source code that we talked about with Jason. Uh, when you're ready, it is J A N 2 3 1 8 7 2.
3: Okay. Oh yeah. I like that. That was yeah. well, perfectly executed into the future. I love it. It's going to work.
0: Yeah, Excellent. <laughs> I, I hope you all enjoyed that. Well, once again, Jason, thank you so much for, for joining us with, with here today talking about everything is fantastic. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. We're back. And thank you once again for Jason uh, coming in and talking to us about comics and a bunch of other stuff. Very, very awesome to have him here. Yeah, I wish yeah that was the best. fun. Thanks for, yeah, yeah. thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, I hope he is getting better and feeling better. Yeah, everything's getting better, doing well. Yeah. End of the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Good Pods, CDV Pod. Book Covers, Friday, we will announce the next episode's uh, topic, and you will be able to read along if you want to or uh, not, if you just Come out and listen to our episode anyways. It's all good. Um, now, our email is at better at gmail.com. You can request a new episode there. Uh, Richard, where can we find you on the internet?
2: Um, I'm at TopCat360, basically on all the social media.
0: And, uh, you know, it's just the
2: holidays, man. Be good to one another. That's it. <laughs> yep.
0: That's Absolutely. the best gift that you can give to yourself and anyone else. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then, Carrie, uh, as always, uh, better at gmail.com.
1: Yes, but I'm taking this Christmas break to spend time with my family.
0: Oh, nice. so I will
1: not be answering any emails, sir. Yep.
0: And <laughs> the difference between usual and... Oh, okay. oh.
1: Now, if you call me, i let your ass go to voicemail, regardless yeah. of
0: who you are. Yeah, exactly. The text just is left on read.
1: Uh, actually, I don't send read receipts oh. because I don't want people to know if I've read it or not. Yeah, yeah people reading.
2: that do that are weird. Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
2: If you have read receipts on, I think you're strange.
0: Uh, I I don't even know how to do that. So I think I, at
1: one point you had read receipts on and
0: I thought this is strange. Yeah, it was definitely not on purpose. Yeah. Um, well, I'm at Brigin on Instagram. And for Richard and Carrie, I am Brian, and this has been the Comics Is Are Better podcast. Remember, comics is Are Better and everyone deserves comics. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Happy holidays. Happy, Happy holidays.
2: holidays. woo. woo, woo, woo.
0: Okay. <laughs>